Hello and welcome to this week's Stats Bomb podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knudsen. How are you doing, Ted? I'm all right. James made me buy a new mic after last week, so if you if I'm a little loud, if I'm a little funky, it's just an adaptive process. Yeah, it's true. I'm. <laughs> hopefully, we'll get we'll get there, and we'll get crystal clear recordings before you know it. And uh, the cor- so, as a as a special boon to the podcast listeners today. We have the big podcast. Now, usually we talk about whatever we want to and kind of throw in a bunch of things. But today, we're mostly going to focus on big teams all around Europe, uh, partly because it is boring international break time and you guys need you know a little bit of pick-me-up, and partly because there's a lot of interesting stories in the big teams this year. So we figured it would be, be good to focus a, a, an entire podcast just on that. It is interesting. There's no doubt about it. There's, there's, there are storylines all around Europe. Uh you know, the traditional giants, should we call them, or the, at least the, the giants of this century. Um, and, yeah, where, where to start, Ted? Where do you want to start? Pick a team. Hmm. What about the team that was basically 75 minutes of memes and laughing, and this weekend they were down 2-0 within, like, the first 20 minutes? We should start there. That sounds like... Our old friends, Man United, who uh, could have also been Bayern Munich, but you know, it depends on if you follow yeah. German Twitter or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. They didn't recover it. Did you mean Bayern? We can do Bayern if you want. No, no, I, I, I meant, I meant Jose Mourinho. <laughs> Who else would we start with? Come on. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun. The the, the campaign uh, for freedom continues. It's sort of so it seems went horribly <laughs> wrong for freedom. <laughs> <laughs> it went horribly wrong as as his team put together a stirring fight back. And um, it's interesting because I think this is this is created when these classic dynamics are between uh, what the fan wants to believe and wants to wants to um, enjoy, and the stark reality of uh, having to make such a mess of your team just to sneak past Newcastle at home. Um, yeah. So here on Statsbomb, we have a long history of talking about Manchester United from a statistical perspective. And that last season that Fergie was there, they were kind of like weird and it was difficult to understand quite why they were so good. Set pieces had a lot to do with that, actually. Um, But then, you know, we were the first people that I know of on the internet to talk about how under David Boys, they probably weren't even going to finish in in the Champions League. That was like huge news and how they were just like, you know, sort of a, a more boring different style of play and you know people nowadays are like oh yeah there's no way that it looked like that look this was fresh like no one really understood that they'd just come off of a title uh what happens when you change you know the the most legendary manager in in the premier league football with somebody else that was hand chosen by him and looked like he'd done quite a good job in everton and we looked at the numbers and we're like no this is a problem like they're really really going to struggle and i remember pugsley and i talking about it and he's like no you have to wait till till like the 10th match before we can like really discuss the, this type of thing um so looking at like just this one match right this this Manchester united newcastle match it looked like you know newcastle got a little bit lucky jumped out to an early league and then manchester united battled back uh you know with a goal in the 70th and then like another one around the 77th uh 76th and then finally uh the the last goal with alexis sanchez but in reality newcastle were punching the entire time like that was a really in in terms of xg in terms of race charts in terms of like the whole game like that was a punchy close fight and it, you didn't know how it was going to turn out yeah, I mean, they came on strong at the end. I got a bit of feedback for saying that, um, like, uh, these little indicators, like Man United basically at home allowed eight shots on target against uh, against Newcastle. No case shots on target. If, you know, people you know feel that they've been superseded as as a, as a metric, but I like my little ready reckoners. They're good. They are they're handy, and it's uh, it's just one of these James, things. You... James is never going to let the shot stats go away. He's <laughs> they're, always going to hold on to them. They're still useful, I'm telling you. But anyway, they, they uh, <laughs> yeah, they really kind of you know, it's one of those things that you just think like, mm, your team does not want to be doing this under any circumstances. And even the way they got into the mess was poor because like uh, within the first two min- uh, five minutes, like twice, like Newcastle had just kind of like basically run through Man United's midfield, and. Um, pretty soon afterwards they scored and then they scored again um, i believe you're mischaracterizing you, you you mean the mighty newcastle attack right the the one that <laughs> has lit the league on fire so far this year and was completely expected to have you know very good chances and put up over two expected goals 
at Old Trafford. That's the Newcastle that we're talking about, right? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a new world for them. <laughs> we have not seen much of this from them this season. Six goals in eight matches. Yeah, that yeah. Newcastle, right? Four goals in seven matches before this match. And I mean, one of the one of the things that people, I've seen people say after this was like, you know, the fight back. You know, think of think of the way that the players, you know, the the uh, good vibes they'll have got off this fight back and coming back and uh, you know securing a key win. And okay, yeah, there might be an aspect of that. But like, I mean, if you want to talk about sustainable strategies, like. <laughs> It's all gone wrong within ten minutes, and he's and he's and Mourinho's basically subbed on repeat, <laughs> taken off centre back after centre back, and subbed on you know more and more attacking players. It's like the the thing that the thing that bothers me more than anything is just the complete lack of control. You haven't even got faith in your system and your team that even at two 0 down to a relatively poor side, that your system and your method of football will be able to generate enough chances um, to actually get back competitive into the game. Immediately, what he does is um, literally just panic. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't know what he's doing anymore. I just. He doesn't. And so, so let's look at last year, right? Like, what did the numbers look like last year? And they were about 1.7 XG per game. They gave up, you know, a little over 1.05, somewhere between maybe even 110. So you're like 0.6 uh, goals different per per 90. And that's pretty decent, right? Yeah. That, that usually is going to get you into the Champions League right on the edge, but not quite into into the European places. That isn't what happened here, but, you know, they, they, they finished second. It was a bit lucky. David De Gea was, was amazing. That's fine. It's It's still in a decent range. Let's put it that way. This year, where are they, James? Yeah, they just look like seventh, eighth best team in the league, really. But they're just over, they're just over expectation, as opposed mm. to Arsenal, which are just over under zero. United are just over zero, and like that's not. I mean, that's not only not good. Like for a team of this attacking caliber, for a team that should be really good right now, for a team that you know any any other decent manager in the world should be driving towards European places. They're like not even close at the moment. And that's a difference from his first two years, which were underwhelming a bit. But it's certainly a big difference now. And it's something that you know, there's no sign of things getting better and changing. Yeah, it's you, you just wonder, don't you? You want someone else to have a go at this. Some, some, uh, someone with a little more attacking uh, in, you know, now or not just desire to have a go at this squad. Because, you know... That's the thing. On paper, you look at it and you think this this squad should be should be absolutely flying. It should it should be doing well. It might have defensive frailties, but you know it, it should be scoring a ton of goals regardless. Just just from the sheer talent that they can put on the pitch. And I don't know. Maybe teams just sometimes don't gel. Maybe this is it when you have just kind of uh, plucked stars from wherever you know, and you haven't you haven't built the team quite so organically as. It doesn't always work, I guess. I mean, that's a that's. I don't. I don't necessarily believe that's the case. The question about building the team here is significant, right? Like, who built this team? Hmm. And building a team, sort of hand in hand with somebody that's doing the recruitment, uh, is important. Like, you need to understand the style. But the United board and and sort of the the leak, uh, the informed leak that came out right at the end of the transfer window, was that they didn't believe in Mourinho's. You know, hit his thoughts on how to build this team anymore in this window, uh, in the summertime window. And that probably created some issues. Uh, you know, you, you have to kind of have the whole ship going in, in one direction here. The, the, the whole, the whole process needs to, to be aligned in order to, to come out almost regardless of how much money you have. You could just flush away a bunch of money. The, the next question is like, who do they get to fix it, right? Yeah, I, I, I can't see anyone that is logical. I mean, Con- probably Conte is probably the best like available option right now. And he- so I, I hugely respect his ability, but you go from crazy manager to crazy manager who wants too much control versus what United have already said. They just ha- had that problem. It's like yeah, you know. This is not the this is not the the landing point. You prefer something a little softer. And he, yeah, and also you feel like United would want to try and get an attacking coach in if if they if they possibly could after Mourinho, Van Hal's stoicism, and Moyes. You know, the, the fans are just want some entertainment for crying out loud. That's... It's tough for me to feel bad for Man United fans after you know those twenty some odd years of being awesome, but 
the fact of the matter is, Old Trafford hasn't had much fun since 2013. And that's that's a pretty long time. Yeah. That's like five years of Van Gaal with hyper-pragmatism and, and a crappy system that, that couldn't allow his players, his elite attacking players, to attack. Mourinho, who seemed like he might be going that way, and then just completely backed off of it because of the defensive frailties. Moyes before that, who was just like a hot mess of 82 crosses against Fulham at home. Uh, so, so yeah, it's a it's a very messy place. There's no way that Jose Mourinho should stay around this season. I'm not like Gary Neville, you know, never fire a coach. Like this team is underperforming. It is unclear who they could get to do better. And I guess the the counterpoint to that is, you know, until the summertime, why wouldn't you pay 15 million to Jose Mourinho? Because you're going to have to pay him sort of like 30 to fire him. And his base, I think it came out of the Marcotti um, piece this week, his base is something like 15 million pounds a year. Like, oh my goodness, that's insane. Uh, Yeah, anyway, so United are are a hot mess, and they are not likely to get much better, at least from the underlying numbers, unless, you know, something dramatic changes, unless they all sort of decided they, they believed in Jose Mourinho again and the system, which has not, to this point, been very clear at all. I think something that we've just talked about there, it, you know, the evolution of Man United's squad, it feels like it's taken forever. And you know, when you still see players like Valencia and Young, like leftovers from the the um, the Ferguson era, it just uh, does tell you. And you know, even Mata and uh, Fellaini, who's who's relied on quite heavily at times as you know Moy signings, that it's taken a long time to evolve this this team into something that it wasn't. You know, and I think we'll see this. This theme will kind of uh, recur throughout this podcast. Um, who should we hit on next? Oh, I don't yeah. want to flog a horse, but it, like it takes multiple seasons, like, usually three to four windows, uh, to to sort of revamp a squad to a new vision from somebody else's. Unless like you already had elite talent that was fairly flexible, or the new manager sort of aligns. But like you have to have a vision, you have to have a plan, you have to know what you're executing. And you have to get out there and actively look for the players that fit the system and what you want to do with it. And if you don't have that, and if no one is leading that, you end up spending an awful lot of money for not very much in the way of results. That's where United are at. That's where United have kind of been for quite a while. And they need somebody. And they've been talking about getting a sporting director, a technical director. The question is whether they're going to get anybody good in there. And, you know, I don't know, James. Like, Are you up for it? <laughs> Should we go and run Man United? Yeah, what the hell? That would be great. I'll even put my normal allegiances to one side to do the best of my abilities. So, well, exactly. Like at that at that point, like there are no you know true allegiances, right? Like there, there's what you grew up with, but like this is your team now. And and with Brentford, very much, you know, I feel like those are my kids, and, and I kind of always felt that way after the point that we did all the work, and I still follow that team very closely, and and you know, I love seeing them succeed. The, the guys that are there now. And the guys that left. And so, you know, I'm, I'm up for that for Man United. If uh, if anybody wants to, to give our, our contact information to, uh, to Ed Woodward, you know where to find us. Yeah, we can do this. <laughs> anyway, right, let's move on. Let's solve another <laughs> Let's solve another massive club. Let's go into Bayern now. Cause, uh, we did I'm mention- not sure you can solve that club. That club is uh, it's very, very German. <laughs> it is the most German. Well, let's let's look, think about performance. Mike wrote about them on the site last week, about how like they're generally fine. And this is... This is perfectly true. If you look at their numbers, like their defense just gives up very little, you know, in general. Their attack may- maybe isn't quite as lethal as it has before, but you know, the the blend between attack and defense uh still still kind of shakes out so far as, you know, the the looking like the best team in the Bundesliga. But I guess the the difference between now and previously is there hasn't been any conversation before about like whether or not this team was even vaguely threatenable uh, from anyone else in this league. And I still suspect that as the season goes on, that may prove to be the case. But right now, results are not good. They look a little wobbly. And I guess it's time, yeah, usual time to diagnose what's happened at Bayern and why aren't they quite the elite team, the super elite team that they were uh, two or three years ago. And I think my main my main crux it looks like again they're struggling to evolve their way out of what was um a super elite team with uh prime age players two or three years ago and they've all just got a, there's a few key men in there that have just got that little bit old 
not least not least the flying wingers Rebri and uh, Robin who are amazingly turning I think 36 and 35 this season <laughs> and you just think okay and they're playing they've played quite a few minutes so far and I, I'm loath to loath to looking at uh, Robin's numbers I'm less inclined to critique him at the moment I'm not sure what I'm not sure if Ribery is quite giving enough to this team right now. And then I think midfield. There's something about midfield at the moment that it feels like they haven't got the the balance right in there. So to to get my perspective on this, it's a it's a little funky and the distribution of of sort of stats across the squad are weird too. But yeah, it comes back to they made a manager change in the in the summer. They had to. Hankis was like, "I'll come back for a bit," but again, I'm I'm done. I'm, I'm like even less young than I was last time I was here. Um, and, and they replaced they replaced Hankis with Pep. The rumor is that they're waiting for Nagelsmann to to come available. I guess this summer, and they they put in Kovac, um, who I think actually is a pretty good coach, but. Uh, more in that kind of school of pragmatist defensive side uh, and then you know the attack does what what it needs to do because we've got elite players and that's kind of what you're seeing in the numbers there too make no mistake like the numbers here still suggest very strongly that Bayern are going to win this league and you know even if you throw in the wrinkle of of Dortmund sort of overperforming xg uh under Favre because every team that Favre coaches overperforms XG like you should expect the the Bayern will be right in the mix but they are slightly vulnerable this year and I think that's the difference they're not used to being vulnerable maybe they should allow themselves to be vulnerable maybe it'll be good for them maybe it'll be good for the league maybe the relationship among Germans would be stronger if Bayern became a little more vulnerable but you know that that's a counseling session that's not really what we're here to talk about right now (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's one way of approaching it, I suppose. But yeah, I don't know. Yesterday, it, yeah, their attacks doesn't look like it's their XG per shots quite like moderate as well. And again, that's, that's a theme that we'll come back to. But uh, you know, Hamas has has the biggest per ninety in, in XG on that team, which is unusual and weird. And Lewandowski has the biggest XG assisted on that team, which is also like really unusual and weird. And you're like, hmm, I'm not entirely sure what's going on here. And yeah, sometimes teams go into transition years and that's like perfectly it happens and it's uh, important to kind of guide through that and to be willing to to take on a little bit of pain to come out the other side Bayern need to retool the squad they have needed so for a while one of the other issues is they're not really getting anything out of their academy that you know seems like it's great right now like I'm not a you know, I'm not a deep Bayern fan, but you know, we haven't seen them bring through academy kids at, at any sort of normal rate versus like the super teams, even when they're spawning them off into into different uh, teams and potentially different leagues, like some of the English teams are doing right now. So we'll see. It's it's something to keep an eye on. You know, will they make a change? Uh, even <laughs> even Ancelotti got booted after after something that looked like this, and their their numbers were a lot better. I don't think that Bayern particularly look at the numbers uh, before making changes, but. Yeah, it's a uh, you know keep an eye on it, and it's fun to watch Dortmund win. I, I'll I'll admit that much. I mean, just a couple of things to hit on, but like Tolisso's out, he's been out for a, and he's going to be out for a little while, and obviously you know he's a potentially uh, key part of their midfield uh, going forward, and probably you know at, at just twenty four, you imagine that he would become more and more of a part of the, that team, and I think I've nothing against Serge Gnabry and Renato Sanchez personally. But I'm not sure if I want to see them starting matches for Bayern at the same time. It just feels like maybe that you know if 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 that's your kind of depth, then it's not quite as deep as it once was. And you know these are only small indicators. It's early days. <laughs> maybe Ronaldo Sanchez won't start many matches as the season goes on and, and everything gets organised. But yeah, it's the challenges of trying to like rebalance rebalance your squad with players getting just that slight bit older. And it's funny because. Um, I think that you know that classic kind of German core of uh, of the Germany side that obviously struggled in the summer in, for the national team. You know, it's just starting to see things about like Özil, like they're all 28, 20, well, 29, 30. You know, Müller has Müller been the same same player in the last kind of year, two years as he was before, and it just it should time is moving on, Ted. This is just the way things go. <laughs> Will get it's older. unstoppable, James. It's you a, can't stop time. It's a young-ish man's game at times. Anyway, that's <laughs> that's Bayern. Who should we flip to next? Who else is struggling? Barcelona a little. Do Barcelona? They're worth they're worth a discussion, right? Like yeah. Barcelona. 
the the big question is messy reliance and <laughs> what what maybe it's easier to start with the team that is definitely struggling and come back to Barcelona as a comparative right so the team in that league <laughs> that is uh is having major issues is Real Madrid who seem like they haven't scored in about five six games something like that it is five games right like they zero 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 and the big question before the league even started and going into the season was something we were a little excited by but being a stats person what happens when you lose one of the superstars like what happens when you take one of the the inhumanly good players like a Ronaldo or a Messi out of those teams and then what happens to them and what happens to the team that they go to so at Real Madrid when you take Ronaldo out of that team and also you take Zidane as well you've got some manager turnover they stop scoring goals it's Interesting. I had a quick look at this beforehand, and they they've basically dropped two and a half shots a game, season to season so far. Which is when you when you take as many shots as Madrid take, it's not necessarily terminal. But those two and a half shots, the difference in actually, it's like literally 0.6 per game. They're down season to season, which is a lot. <laughs> and their expected goals per shot, as a result, quite evidently, is really low. Again, yeah. again you know, you, you we're used to. Uh, the, the mega teams like even if they do take a bunch of shots from wherever they do ten- generally churn out a hell of a lot of good close chances now I think poor old not really poor maybe a little bit old but Benzema is uh, not really filling the gap of anything at the moment he's kind of are you suggesting you're ready to put him out the pasture well yeah for pretty much um, I don't know I was I always felt <laughs> five years ago that Benzema poor I thought Benzema was an absolute worldy of a talent who was maybe a little bit stymied by being in the same team as as Ronaldo. So it was really interesting. Um, so yesterday I got kind of stuck into this this thing on Mbappe and uh, and Messi and sort of age corollaries and stuff like that. And some some people were like, "Oh, what about these other ones?" Um, Benzema was one of them. Um, Wayne Rooney was another one like the the super elite teenagers and Benzema was a, a bit he was like a year later than um, or maybe two years later than than Mbappe's like age 19 Messi's 19 but you know at 21 he was outrageously good and then moved shortly thereafter uh, to, to Real Madrid where he's been very very good since then and I think you're right actually if you look at his early era you know he did kind of subsume himself and this is like a constant argument from Real Madrid fans how how good or bad was Benzema. Um, but he did kind of like bury some of his stuff in order to make that team better. And, and, you know, full credit to him for doing that. But it's also quite clear that he's well past his peak and not ha- playing with, you know, Bale, Ronaldo, Benzema, uh, also Isco in there taking up uh, sort of space and attention has has impacted his, his stats. And he doesn't, he looks worse than league average at the moment. The question is, you know, whether that's recoverable or not, whether he's part of the problem whether the the midfield is also quite old. Luka Modric isn't young. Like, this might have been kind of the last hurrah under Zidane, an aging squad that that needs a lot of turnover and is also going to have some pain too. Yeah, I mean, it, Isco's been out while they've, they've been on this poor run, so you know, possibly that link between midfield and attack and the you know what he provides it has you know they. I'm thinking of my my Tottenham side, uh, you know, and Ericsson's been out a couple of weeks, and you know, suddenly you just don't get that the the glue that sticks the one to one to another so well, and um, so you know that's obviously obviously a factor in the kind of immediate now, but yeah, th- this is it. I don't think Benzema's done a very good job of, of stepping up, um, which you know you presumably they would have hoped he did. I mean, they got Mariano back, but he he's literally a sub at the moment, and. You know what are their attacking options? It's still, it's still kind of, it still kind of baffles me that they didn't go out and spend reasonable money on, not the new Ronaldo, but you know just someone who would get lots of goals. <laughs> it just I know. well, it, it happened quite late. I think that they didn't want to overspend on somebody who was aging to like sort of again complicate those issues. The the defense is only about league average. the The attack is is a bit better than that, and you know this is this is definitely a painful year. And I'm not sure that they're going to correct it in any significant way, even if they change the manager right now. Uh, the other thing that we're we're kind of seeing is, you know, how do you retool this squad? Because you don't know. Again, you haven't seen anything like this 
happened before. You've seen some elite players disappear, but you know Ronaldo and, and Messi are, are practically unique in and of themselves in the last like 25 years. So yeah, how do you how do you rebuild? How do you take away the focus from just Gareth Bale when he's on the pitch because Benzema you know isn't doing anything? Uh, it's a it's a it's probably a multi summer rebuilding project, and be, I think because the Ronaldo thing happened so late. And they didn't necessarily want to spunk like 150 million on uh, on Aiden Hazard or anything like that. You know, they kind of were stuck with this. Uh, yeah, I mean, their defense has never been like marvelous, you know, on on the num- numbers. So you know, if you've got their their same old defense with a slightly weaker attack, um, well, so far quite <laughs> quite a lot weaker attack, then it just isn't. It's it's you know, there's there's not enough balance there for them to actually really thrive but La Liga entirely is is in a slightly funny place I mean I uh what was it? I tweeted out the other day to to little acclaim like <laughs> no only one team's won more than four games in the first eight matches right and that's just that just never happens it's about 20 years since that happened normally there's three or four maybe five teams that are all you know racking up wins usual usual teams uh, Barcelona and Madrid are obviously the teams that are normally flying out of the gates but no it's one's flying as usual <laughs> <laughs> it just no one's no one's flown out of the gates at all it's really quite an odd That's odd true. season like everyone lost a game by week 6 which just doesn't happen in about 15 years either but like yeah it, it's, it's an interesting start because you know you don't presume that parity has returned to uh, uh to La Liga at all, but in the early weeks of this season, it's 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 different to other seasons. And it's funny because if you go back twenty years, you've got you got you have got teams like Deportivo winning the league, and Madrid and uh, Madrid and uh, Barcelona habitually like not winning uh, half their games, losing ten games a season and stuff. So you know, it, we're so used to like the modern era of the mega clubs exploiting their riches and getting it right, and it would just be fascinating if we if we've hit on this this kind of odd season where you know two or three of these teams that have been so dominant for so long just weren't quite on on their peaks and did start losing matches. I mean, you can move to Barcelona now um, because, as I say, you know they they've had by their standards a fairly poor start to the season. Uh, Champions League they've looked rather good. Um, yeah. Having watched the, having watched some of the Tottenham game, I'm a little bit more inclined to think that they played into their hands a bit there. Whereas, um, whereas in the in in La Liga, it feels like teams are teams are being a bit more pragmatic, uh, letting Barcelona have the ball. But Barcelona are really struggling to uh, at least in a couple of games. That, um, I can't remember which game they lost. Um, uh, Leganes. Yeah, they they didn't take a shot in the box until about the 80th minute. And in the weekend, in the match they drew against Valencia, similar story until about an hour, just just under an hour in, they hadn't had a shot in the box. And it's like, this is not Barcelona. You know, the, yeah. Barcelona is absolute blueprint for... Uh, is there Argentina hangover? I have shots. Well, it's it's interesting. <laughs> I, I, I kind of poked at the data a little bit. Not too heavily. But um, trying to work out like what's what's different about this Barcelona team beyond that and it feels like I know midfield has been a topic uh, of conversation for a lot of people and it feels like I don't know maybe there's a little drop off in the kind of work rates and stuff like I looked at Busquets and I looked at Rakitic and people are saying like yeah the World Cup hangover for Rakitic particularly maybe and um, yeah I think it's it's possible they're just not putting quite as much work in, in midfield like defensively they're just they're just not quite on it What's your the Vidal what? purchase was weird. <laughs> yeah, it was after after looking like they're retooling uh, with young talent and doing doing cool stuff like that, getting getting in a midfield that's even older than their current midfielders. Uh, yeah. So the the trouble, I guess, if you if you think that Vidal was sort of a, a <laughs> an Iniesta replacement, then mm. they didn't actually get older. But it that's the big problem for for Barcelona. Like, if you're gonna have Messi as he ages. And he does messy things, but also Luis Suarez isn't young either. Like yeah. They did buy young young attackers, right? They've got Dembele, they've got Malcolm somewhere in that squad. <laughs> Last I checked, yeah, yeah. He, he is he hasn't secretly escaped himself back to Roma, has he? No. Um, so <laughs> he hasn't gone so on the pitch much either yet. But yeah, I take your point. 
so I, I think the, the, the big question there is, <clears throat> you know, what's the plan? They've got Jordi Alba, who's, who's still really good. Rakitic, who's good. Busquets, who may be good for a long time, but doesn't have his movement that he, he had before. It's just not there. Coutinho, who, if he's going to play and, and replace um, you know, Iniesta, he's got he's to work more for, uh, for the team, right? Like, he can't just be an attacker. He's got to actually do a lot of defending. And, and late era Iniesta, I think, sort of clogged up a lot of lanes and understood that. Um, but they're missing like workhorses. And Arturo Vidal, as much as he yeah, at one point was the best pressing eight in the world, like he was destroyer, but he had the legs to do all those things. He doesn't fit that either necessarily. So that's part of the question. And if you don't have the workers in midfield anymore, and if you lost just a little bit of that element of, of, of quite good late Iniesta who helps you know move the system along, um, you still got some pretty good defenders. Like you've got Umtiti, you've got Jordi Alba, you've got uh, Longley, who they pick, picked up, who I think is actually going to be pretty good as well. Um, those those are fine, but PK has struggled a bit at times this year as well. I don't know if he's healthy or not. You're coming off a, a, a summer when almost all of these guys were at the World Cup and played you know moderate to significant minutes. So yeah, there there is it. They look a bit leggy. Are they improvable? I'm not sure. The defense hasn't been great. The attack is still maybe finding its legs. They're way more practical than they used to be, though. This is this is a different type of team. And, you know, they're missing the, the other superstar, right? They're missing they're missing a, a Neymar that helps take away attention from other people and, and create a bit extra. And as, as much as Barcelona probably don't want to admit that, especially the fans, you know, he, he was a pretty damn good player. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to lean too heavily into the age profile thing, but it, it is interesting that... Um, that you know they they look to have actually tried to counter this in the in the transfer market by buying these you know younger players, but the the men in the hot seat, the the, the stars that have been stars for the last you know eight ten years, they still obviously start nearly every game. So actually actually transitioning out of um, a highly successful team with your favoured 29 to 31-year-old stars, of which there are tons, you know, Messi, Suarez, Rakitic, Busquets, Piquet, Alba, that, you know, yeah. they're all 29, 30, 31. Eventually, we'll give Messi a pass here, but eventually most of these guys are going to get slowly moved into, you know, having less, playing fewer minutes. And this is it. They it felt like they'd done the right thing and trying to address uh, their kind of age profile, but it's really hard to actually kick out the the old guys and get you get your new guys into the team and develop as a team at the same time it's it must be so hard to for you know for a coach to a manager to come in and say like right sorry bush gets you, you, you're gonna sit this one out this week you know when he when he's played pretty much every match it's for a very years. painful process yeah and and most teams don't successfully do no <laughs> it takes it takes a bit of crisis in order for them to to make action happen and it feels it feels like most of these teams that we've discussed today have all got an aspect of of like str- struggling to transition into their next their next phase, which is if not upon us, close by. If not this season, next season, you know, it's 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 not too far away. Right, uh, who can we move to now? Uh, Liverpool. We wanted to talk about briefly. Um, now, there's a team that has transitioned pretty effectively into its... Absolutely. We talked about that in, in past pods. It is. But there's a little bit of a kind of discussion point about um, are they quite quite as effective uh, going forward as, um, as they have been at least within the last year. Now, I'm inclined to believe that it's just a matter of uh, time and a little bit of I think they're being a, a little bit kind of cautious about how they approach games in general and not, you know, not hitting teams quite as high up at the pitch, probably transitioning a little bit lower in the pitch and making chances from there. I think Salah will eventually um, score goals at a similar rate as you might expect him to score goals. I don't think he's going to have another season like last season, and that's fine. That's still really top class. Um, what do you think, Ted? What do you think about where they're at? I think for starters, they've had a really hard schedule. Yeah. Uh, for for this period of time, uh, their Champions League schedule has been very difficult. Uh, PSG at home, who they won, uh, but they they were 
pretty dull uh, when they went to Napoli. The Premier League schedule has been quite difficult as well. City this past weekend. It was interesting. I watched that City game and it's quite unusual for either of these teams not to throw their fullbacks forward. Mm. And that was the thing that like really I, I noticed over the course of the match. Like you often expect those fullbacks to get involved and, and to help provide additional danger. And those teams were just taking it very cautiously. Neither one wanted to lose that match. And it resulted in, in like a pretty technical, tactical battle. Somebody hoping that they got a little bit of luck, uh, I guess in this case it was Liverpool that got luck because of the missed penalty, but it was it was pretty intriguing overall. I some would call it dull as well. I don't think that's unfair. I, it wasn't like a super exciting game unless you're you're a bit of a tactics nerd. But for Liverpool themselves, I think the schedule has really kind of constrained a lot of of their ability. You know, also Salah. He looks like he's doing fine. He hasn't been able to just run over teams, right? And and people are a little more prepared for them than they were in years past. Um, so I, I think that that kind of combination of stuff has has impacted their ability to to have a free flowing attack. But the one thing that that I, I brought this up as as like a, a topic for us is because people want them to be a lot better and. This is one of the best starts that they've ever had. Mm. And they finished in the Champions League final last year. What do you actually want? If you want this team to be better, what sort of insane requirements do you have for Liverpool? Because like, it's not. It's not in any sort of normal realm of, oh, yes, well, Liverpool need to be better. Well, this is the best they've ever done. So, like, you know, what do you want? <laughs> You want them to be city? No one's city. I'm sorry, they're not. I'll just you might get there. I'll just caution caution the feedback there on you, Ted. If you're saying this is the best that Liverpool have ever done, you'll get you'll get <laughs> in the Premier League. I apologize. <laughs> in in, in, in recent times, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> let's say in the Premier League. I, I apologize. That's, that's true. I know that you know that that the, people can be passionate. Well, did not this, begin with the Premier League, but yeah. Uh, last season, for the first time, I think under Klopp, we we saw them actually manage their schedule and their squad effectively throughout the season. So let's keep that in mind before like we diagnose too many issues with like. I mean, there's this talk about how their midfield is is like feeding their forwards, and uh, the obvious big difference there is well, Coutinho and Oxley Chamberlain being like Coutinho being like an attacking threat, and Oxley Chamberlain being uh, you know just a kind of dervish of energy and pressing and kind of crashing into people and you know but he didn't settle in early last season either no no that's it that's very true people people kind of remembering like how how liverpool ended up last season now that's what we could end up seeing here like you know if if post christmas like kate is starting every match and is is you know because he's been a bit in and out of the team so far and he didn't look fit this weekend. He he looked like a guy who had thrown his back or had had major back spasms midweek, and then just had to come on because somebody else. I guess it was Milner twanged a yeah yeah right. I mean this and this is it. And if if we're sitting here after Christmas and we're looking at this team and they are they are crashing into people and you know absolutely burning them once more, then you'll and they're having negotiated Christmas effectively and uh, you know the various potential injuries that uh, can befell you during the busy period. Then yeah, October will seem a long time ago. Um, to... I, I, the reason why I just mentioned it is because like fans just seem to have these insane desires, and <laughs> it just that's not how football works. As much as you want a thing, you know there are constraints around it. Uh, the the Arsenal stuff that I kind of wrote about again this weekend, and you put together that that chart of historically, this is how XG regresses to uh, you know, actual goals and goal difference. And you're like, these teams are way outside of historic bounds. And we have a lot of team seasons now. So someone is going to come back. And all these teams that are way out here are going to come back to the pack. Which means that Arsenal, despite the fact that they are slightly negative in their expected goal difference this season. And you know look like they might be potential title contenders according to the media. That's not really where their performance levels are. Enjoy the fact that they're winning. It's great. But, you know, there are huge underlying issues with that squad and with that team and with how they're playing. And, you know, you can't gloss that over. This is what gets Paul Lambert a a three-year extension when his team was actually terrible and lucked into a couple of early results at Aston Villa. Yeah, um, I think something that people have slightly missed about that that, Arsenal thing, you know, obviously the fans are delighted. that You you kicked up some noise yesterday with your article, Ted, I tell you. But anyway, (laughs) I think one of the things... uh, 
that's been slightly missed from that is that the the actual like expected performance levels right now are not very good at all. This isn't a case of like a good team that's absolutely flying on top of it like Man City last season who had great numbers and then like achieved on on top of that, you know, via uh, the models. This is a team that looks like a moderate team that is currently putting together results that are, you know, pretty good. And the diff- Their finishing has been lights out. And yeah, yeah. That is, you know, a little bit of having Lacazette, who is an elite finisher, and we've we've known that on the stat side for a while. Aubameyang getting some goals. You know, Ramsey involved. The, playing Fulham. Very, very <laughs> playing Fulham. This is the thing. Everyone, <laughs> everyone plays Fulham, and the, for a week they're like, we're a hell of a team, you know. We really are it's, good. <laughs> it's the Fulham gift basket. It's like, here, have have some lovely gifts. Thank you for coming. Um, and uh, four or five goals. <laughs> right. Yes, we're right back on it. Uh, yeah, it keeps happening. It keeps happening, honestly. Let's, let's switch to a team that is firing on nearly all cylinders. But, you know, there's a little underlying surface stuff that probably deserves mention as well. We're going to go to France and we're going to look at Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, well, specifically, I mean, I, I know which way you want to attack this. Um, I, can we just do Kylian Mbappe first? Cause, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, he did have one <laughs> hell of a game the other day, like four goals in 14 minutes or something insane. But um, it's funny, I mean, the kid's 19. I mean, what the hell's going on? And he's already won the World Cup, and now he's looking like the, possibly the best player on, on you know, one of the, one of the elite teams. And... Um, it's funny, isn't it? I feel like his his weekend salvo uh, was just another kind of like checkbox along the way to to greatness, which sounds crazy when you think like, well, he just won the World Cup. <laughs> it's like there's checkboxes to greatness all the way along. Um, but something I noticed, which which is which excites me as a shots man, is um, he's gone up. He's gone up this season. He was like yep. a three three and a half kind of shots so, of shots a game guy which is great that's fine from your normal strikers and he's something at like 5.5 per per game like through yeah, through the early crept, weeks he's crept into elite territory he's crept into the the stratosphere that harry kane briefly occupied <laughs> he, he'll get he'll come back he'll convert <laughs> but yeah i mean this this is it as much as anything you know the the essence of, of striking and being an elite striker and probably a goal scorer if you can get that shot volume up over four uh, you're looking good. If you get it up over five, you are absolutely in the big leagues with literally Ronaldo and Messi. But um, they have to be good shots. Oh, yeah, they have, yeah. They have yeah. to not be like, you know, five percenters. They need to be like 10%, 15%, 20%. Yeah. And Mbappe, that, now this is another thing about him. Uh, you look at his shot maps. He this this is here's the analytics blueprint, Ted. It's literally hardly anything from outside the box. It helps to play with Neymar. <laughs> this is true. Uh, it helps. It helps. <laughs> it helps all the good players to play on great teams. You know, there's there's nothing different about this. And Kane did it on a less great team. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It deserves <laughs> following up though because I, I made the tweets. Um, we've got some some depth of data um, from you know, history that that we're able to to dig up every once in a while when it's relevant. And someone you know. We've got like Messi's 19, 20-year-old seasons all the way back to then. And we're able to, you know, not necessarily look at XG because like the data is a bit different then and you have to change your XG model dramatically. But we do have just like goals scored and assists scored from from that period of time. And one thing that's important for, for most players is to look at their age cohort. So like, how did you perform at this age? And who around you, who performed similarly well at that age, right? And... This is where Mbappe comes in and is like really incredibly impressive. Now, yeah, it is. is he playing on a on a better team? Uh, that was what was like also slightly interesting. People are like, oh well, you know, uh, League One is a farmer league. Well, that's not true. Uh, League One actually produces great talent and has regular great talent, <laughs> and you're just wrong if you think that. But they are like, oh yeah, well, there's no way that League One is you know nearly as good as Spain was. If you look back in 06, 07, 07, 08, there weren't many good teams in Spain. Like they weren't crushing the European competitions as they would do normally now. Um, you know, many of those teams were going out in the in in the round of sixteen, in the in the round of eight in European competitions. So like that, the Spain the Spanish league has gotten a lot better and stayed a lot better over the last decade. But they weren't great back then. And you know, yes, Ligue 1 and Mbappe are part of a super team right now. But you know, there Monaco up to this 
point were really good. Leon regularly produced great talent. And it's kind of interesting. I was looking back uh, at Lacazette and I was wondering to myself, you know, did he have better talent around him at Leon his last season than necessarily has at Arsenal right now on the attacking side? Like he had Fakir, he had Depay, yeah, an older Valbuena, a Gazal, who was actually quite good for his last couple of seasons there. Um, uh, Tolisso was was awesome in the midfield for that team. So yeah, it's a it's an interesting open question. But anyway, coming back to to Mbappe, his age correlation is really really strong at this age. Almost nobody ever produces seasons as good as he's doing. It's not wrong to put him among the elite superstars. For his age, it's also not wrong to do it just because of how good he is right now, regardless of age. Yeah. That's how cool this kid is. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And, you know, he obviously had a flying start when he when he you know landed in the league. And, yeah, the last six months, say, it just feels like, you know, you, you're actually seeing him evolve into what he promised to be. And it's funny because you... you it's so easy to forget how young they are. Like, you know, you, you wouldn't normally expect... A player to be putting up anything like the numbers that he's putting up and, until they were what 22 23 maybe and yeah at peak he's he's still awesome so and so he's like just don't... three or four years off like what potentially could be uh you know the only, the only caution I'd, I'd maybe put against that is, is he's a speedy type and um, yeah. sometimes these the speedy types don't have long careers in the way that uh players that are you know kind of less speed orientated um that said that's 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 just being uh you know unnecessarily uh cautious on that you know we should be very excited about like what he's we're not producing. saying that he is as good as those guys because longevity has a lot to do with it right mm. and you know scoring over a goal a game in any league is absurd <laughs> it just like that we've gotten used to that as almost a normal for the very best players in the world but it's not it's only two players. It didn't used to be at all. This is it. You know, it really didn't. Like, <laughs> you know, you go back through, through like, I don't know, my childhood and beyond and stuff. You know, scoring a goal a game or anything near it in any of the leagues was just unlikely. It just didn't happen. I mean, maybe football changed a little bit, but yeah. Well, yeah, and the super teams changed a bit more. So, like, you've got a slight disparity in talent. But I, I think you're right. Like, let's just recognize. People, Ronaldo and Messi have changed people's expectations for like what the very best players in football do. When we see one that looks even remotely like them, you should take note and just appreciate the fact that they are awesome. And this kid's awesome to watch too. Uh, coming back to PSG though, uh, the one sort of potential flaw that they have is their defense isn't great. Uh, it's it's good, but it's not elite. It doesn't look like City or Liverpool's defense as much. Um, yeah, they they they. They don't suppress as many shots. Now, part of it could be because they, they get out to, to early leads and they just want to run. I don't know. Like, I'm not I'm not fully up to speed on, on the, the impact of that. But, you know, even against Liverpool, we saw the defense was a bit shaky there. And I watched the Lyon game this weekend. And that first half was like a very tight, edgy first half. Lots of fouls. Uh, I don't want to call it dirty. But, like, you know, some people, I think, on Twitter called it that. And if you look at the numbers, it was, like, really, really close. Then there was the red card for Kimpembe that actually came off of a VAR review. It was initially given a yellow. <laughs> I didn't realize that that was possible, but it was sort of a correct call. And then it looked like Lyon were really going to go to the races, and then Tussart got a really stupid second yellow. And suddenly it's 10v10, and PSG have, have two of the best attackers in the world, and, and they, they, they ran them into the ground in the second half. And, you know, obviously that's a huge problem. But I think... If there's a weakness in that team, it's a little bit on the defensive side. We'll see it potentially come out in the Champions League. Uh, there are no takers anywhere close to them in the league, though. They just stomping people. I can't remember what Tuchel's defensive side was uh, like when he was at Bayern. I can remember his attack like was Bruce Dortmund, uh, not Bayern. Sorry, yeah, Dortmund. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, because his attack was uh, like incredibly impressive and was was putting up numbers. Like your Barcelona's, you know, incredibly high XG per shot and mm -hmm. really, you know, really impressive. I can't remember what the defensive flip side to that is off the top of my head, but you know, there's, there's obviously, um, yeah, it's, it's a question going forward, and and that's the question they'll face when they get into the deep into European competitions because it looks like the league's finished. <laughs> it's eight wins out of eight. It looks like that's yeah. pretty much yeah. They so then yeah. 
we we're mentioning this because like it seems like most of the other teams outside of City who look like one of the greatest teams we've ever seen in the numbers I uh, I know that's a boring thing to say but again they they look like they are that amazing. Uh, so City and Paris Saint-Germain look like the two sort of juggernauts in their league this year. The nice part is that like pretty much everybody else has some weakness except for Juve. Ah, <laughs> Juve. But they bought Ronaldo, so you know what do you want? <laughs> yeah, Juve will still do that. The thing is, Juve just do Juve things. So, you know, they they don't worry about age profiles in Italy quite so much. It's no, just they, it's, don't. It, they never have done. It's, there's always a couple of guys on your squad who's, who've, who've been there since since they were six years old, and they're now. That's always my 38. open question. Like, what happens if you go into Italy and you create like a good sort of peak age team? that has good talent as well? Can you compete with the slightly older dogs that, that have been there forever? Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I'd love to find out sometime. Yeah, it's, it does feel like it's, it's slightly different kind of culture and uh, the, way, yeah, the way, they, way they look at things. Anyway, Ted, we've, we've, we've done well here. This has been a fun pod. We've hit all our topics, but you know. This was the Big Stats Bomb podcast brought to you by Stats Bomb Data. Uh, we have the best event data in the world and teams and media outlets and gambling people should get in touch with us if you're interested in talking more about it we also have stats bomb iq that is used by multiple teams in the champions league right down to english league one uh yeah so you know this is the brief part of the podcast where we break into and we talk about our work right james how's your work going man you have like the coolest project in the world (laughs) i've got a long project that uh i've been (laughs) wrestling with for some while uh that will we'll see the light of day soon hopefully but uh yeah exactly we'll we'll talk about it at some point we're not quite done with it we're not allowed to but it is like super duper cool and and we got ourselves involved in that uh yeah like the project work has been great um and we've got more and more interest coming along and more and more interest in the podcast james actually made me buy a new microphone as as noted so uh, <laughs> we just pray that the quality actually matches it but we'll see if, if i sound like a, a big fuzzy fog or anything like that it's the microphone and James's fault. <laughs> well, thank you for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our, 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 our weekly podcast on Sats Bomb. And uh, we'll talk again next week. Cheers, boy.